Welcome back to the Sit and Ponder podcast, where we seek to think more deeply about the scriptures and to ask the tough questions. Go ahead, grab your favorite beverage, take a seat, and get ready to dive on in. Okay, folks, today I want to meditate on how bearing one's cross is not only good for our personal growth and intimacy with Jesus, but also for seeing others drawn into relationship with Jesus. How is cross-bearing essential for our daily ministry, not only individually, but as a community of faith or a fellowship of faith? Let's begin by looking at a very important quote by Jesus in John 15. Jesus says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This is really key. Jesus is saying to the twelve that the world already hates them because they are not of the world. He's also making a comparison between himself and them. He's saying, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Now, this statement here in verse 20 is rather curious. We'll get to that in a minute. Paul actually echoes what Jesus shared here, saying, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Have you ever wanted a personal prophecy for your own life? Well, here you go. If you want to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. This is a personal prophecy for you and I. So let's get this settled here today, folks. You can't make a better run at this life than Jesus. You can't be more loving than him. You can't outdo his benevolence or his generosity and gentleness. You already haven't matched his moral and ethical perfection. You are not greater than him. Therefore, you cannot avoid being hated and rejected if he was hated and rejected. More than anyone else, he should have been accepted and wasn't. What Jesus is partially saying here when he says a servant is not greater than his master is that it's a bit arrogant to believe that you can live as he did and be non-hated. You're not greater than him. You didn't make a better go at this run than he did. And you're not as loving as him either. So is this persecution something to whine about? Something to get angry about? Should we seek to demand our governmental rights when faced with persecution? Well, Jesus at least gives us his desired response. In Luke 6, it says, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. 
Shortly thereafter in Luke 6, he gives a warning on the other side. He says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. It's a woeful thing to be spoken well of by everyone. What we see in the summary of these texts is that a godly life makes enemies because we are in a war with a real enemy, the world and its system. You see, striving after a life of being loved by everyone aligns one with false prophets, while seeking to live as Jesus did aligns us with prophets who ran and hid in caves, who were spat upon, who were beaten and abused, were ignored and were driven out into the wilderness. And then, of course, in the case of Jesus, the God prophet, he was crucified. Not only can we not be more successful than Jesus at avoiding persecution, but we cannot top the cross, folks. We cannot top the cross. Only Jesus can go to the cross and die for all of humanity as a perfect act of love, self-sacrifice, and ultimately grace and redemption. Paul was another man who suffered greatly in these ways. We've discussed his suffering already in the previous podcast. Let's take a look at how he processes the importance of suffering for the spread of the good news about Jesus. So the question we're going to continue to ask here in this podcast episode is, how is suffering not only essential for my growth and my relationship with Jesus personally, as we spoke about in the last podcast, but how is suffering essential for our ministry and for our effect upon the outside world? Let's read 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Folks, this is so much here. I could do five podcast episodes on this. I'm going to try to keep it as brief as I can without getting too overly excited about what's being taught. We have a treasure in us, is what this is saying. We are like treasures in jars of clay. And that treasure in us is Christ in us through the Holy Spirit. Let's meditate, friends, 
Look at the types of suffering mentioned in this text. We're afflicted, or Paul's afflicted, perplexed, or confused, persecuted. Paul was sick, confused, and beat down by the enemy. Yet, though we are driven to the brink, it says we are not taken beyond the brink. Because of some surpassing power, in particular God's surpassing power, within us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is within us, we know from another text. Paul says that we are afflicted but not crushed. So we're not crushed, we're perplexed but not driven to despair. We are persecuted but we are not forsaken, we are not left alone. So look at the theme. Afflicted, perplexed, confused, or beat down. But we are not crushed. We are not in despair. And we are not left alone or forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. So we are driven to the brink, but we are not, we are not allowed to be taken across the brink because of this power that's inside of us. Why does God allow this? Listen, friends. This whole process has a very, very important purpose. To show that the surpassing power belongs only to God and not to anything about us. Folks, we need to suffer so that people can see the power of God in us, keeping us from passing over the brink to destruction and despair. They need to see that endurance and strength and uncrushability. They also need to see our clay-like weakness so that they can see us break and then see God keep us steadfast and afloat in our spirits. Jesus says that if we love those who love us, what credit is this to us? Instead, we ought to love our enemies. You see, we are guaranteed to have enemies who hate us. We just spoke about that if we want to live a godly life. And then God's power in us gives us the ability to love those who abuse us and hate us. And in this entire process, from being mistreated to us loving them in return, we are opening a door to people's vision of God through our pain and suffering and through his power to sustain us. This is in large part why we leap for joy when people revile us or when we suffer in other ways. These are opportunities for others to see God's surpassing power as being from him and not from us. It's also an opportunity for them to see that the kind of love we have transcends the normal human love and is from God. And this revelation is increased by our pain and suffering and their view of it. This is paradoxical and beautiful. Reading on Paul says that he is always carrying in his body the death of Jesus. Through denying himself and bearing his cross daily, Paul is actually wasting away in suffering in the ways we've already discussed in the previous episodes. But the death that is at work is there 
so that the life of Jesus, he says in this text, can also be manifested or on display in his mortal or dying body. Paul's existence and ours are a living picture of both pain and ridicule and humiliation. The humiliation of cross-bearing. And we are also a picture simultaneously of the eternal life bliss of being connected to Jesus as a follower and friend. Without pain, the picture is just not complete, folks. The process of our growth through suffering, our endurance, our steadfastness and hope, our rejoicing in the face of various types of suffering and pain, and our love in the face of hatred are a tangible picture of the reality of God and his power and love for all of humanity. Do you want people to see the Jesus who went to the cross for them? as you daily bear your cross right in front of them. Then arm yourself to suffer for the glory of God. Rejoice and don't complain when various trials plague you. Love those who hate you. Stop trying to pridefully orchestrate and control your environment to avoid worthy risks for the cause of God. Now, Here is where Paul makes the connection to the effect on others more deeply of our suffering. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, now here's the key, but life in you. While death is at work in Paul, life is at work in those Paul ministers to in Corinth. People, this is the paradox of the cross. Jesus' death works in us. Paul tells us that he wants to fellowship in the sufferings of Jesus in a previous text that we discussed. Though only Jesus can die and pay the penalty for sin, we can fellowship in the sufferings of Jesus joyfully and willingly and be used to open a door of vision for others to see God and his resurrection power in us through the Spirit, which shines like a match in a pitch black room when this entire process is manifested through obedience. Paul goes on, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is so powerful, folks. Your mind should be blown at this point. This entire process is about grace spreading to more and more people that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Cross-bearing is a key part of the visibility of God to a lost and dying world. The American church's aversion to worthy risk and suffering is 
dimming and quenching the visibility of God's surpassing love and power to the people around us. We are way too comfort-oriented. We care way too much about earthly insurance, comfortable temperatures, nice cars, comfortable houses, lavish experiences and vacations and luxuries. I rarely see people leap for joy when hated for being a follower of Jesus. I rarely see people rejoice at even the small challenges of being a human. We want too much in this life of earthly pleasure and comfort. Jesus plus anything in this life still just equals Jesus. He is so much more of a treasure than anything else that adding anything to that treasure is like adding nothing because he so far exceeds it. Paul describes how the inner power of the Spirit keeps his internal life, in the text we just read, renewed day by day, regardless of the pain he happens to be enduring at the moment. He has such a rich experience of Christ in him, in relationship with him, that he's able to call his extreme sufferings that we've discussed already as light momentary afflictions. Because when he compares the pain he has today, as extreme as it might be, with the eternal weight of glory that he currently lives in with God at his side, he isn't bothered. In fact, he can rejoice. Paul then closes by summarizing that he is looking at the eternal and not the transient. He gazes upon the unseen beyond the physical reality of what he's experiencing today. In summary, our cross-bearing, which means our pain and unjust treatment and our happenstance bad things, no matter how extreme that suffering is, as a fellowship of devoted followers, as we engage in this process of cross-bearing willingly and with rejoicing, it opens a window for people to see the surpassing power, love, and grace of God God has designed the church to be a cross-bearing display of his son's life repeated over and over and over again for all time and in all places where the gospel goes and where his people are. An ongoing picture of the gospel in the lives of everyday followers who have the one true God that they know personally living inside of them. So some questions, folks, just to meditate on. Are you hoping that you can reach people for Jesus and stay comfortable physically, monetarily, or otherwise? Do you think that there is a way to follow Jesus without real cross-bearing? Have you ever wondered why more people are not seeing Jesus in you and asking you about the power they see in you that they can't explain? Does your life put on display both the cross-bearing reality and the unarguable power of God within you as being from God and not from you? Meditate, folks. That's what this podcast is all about. Think, repent, meditate, muster, ruminate, whatever term you like. 
In the next episode, we will tackle another text where Jesus describes a trait of a true disciple. This is your host, Tom Wells, signing off. Hopefully we will see you all next time.